All right, take your Bibles and turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. You know, the passage that we are going to consider this morning is one that I have never preached. <laughs> I've been here for 16 years, and I preached even before coming here, and I have never prepared or preached this passage of Scripture. I do find that hard to believe, especially when it is one of my favorite verses in all of the Bible. It is the Awana theme verse, 2 Timothy 2.15. Now, can any of you young people recite that verse? Now, if you're willing to do it, you've got to stand up and face the congregation if you're up here at front and speak out loud so that they hear it. I don't see too many hands raising that quick. Okay, how about the staff who work in Awana? You know this verse, right? 2 Timothy 2.15? I mean, it's the theme verse. You should know it. Well, anyway, I'm not going to put any pressure on you. But if there is somebody that wants to jump up right now, I'm more than willing to let you do it. Nobody's willing to do it. Okay. Well, follow as I read that verse in its context. We're going to start with verse 14, and we're going to go through verse 19. Paul writes, Remind them of these things, and solemnly charge them in the presence of God not to wrangle about words which is useless and leads to the ruin of the hearers. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. But avoid worldly and empty chatter, for it will lead to further ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, men who have gone astray from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already taken place and they have upset the faith of some. Nevertheless, the firm foundation of God stands. Having this seal, the Lord knows those who are his, and everyone who names the name of the Lord is to abstain from wickedness. And may God add his blessing to the reading of that portion of Scripture. At this time, Paul is in his second Roman imprisonment, and now he's facing death. If you remember, Paul was imprisoned earlier. Um, right now, we're going through the prison epistles. Uh, Ephesians, uh, Colossians, Philippians, and Philemon. And if you remember rightly, he was in rented quarters during that time. He was chained to a guard 24 hours a day, but he had some freedom to visit people. And of course, he was able to write those epistles. But now things have changed. Yes, he was released. He wrote uh, first, uh, second, first Timothy and also Titus. But now he's back in Rome and he's imprisoned again. And things are darker than what they were before. In fact, as you read in 2 Timothy 4 and verse 6, it says there, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. So therefore, he was giving Timothy here final instructions on how to conduct himself and the church of God. 
These were things of utmost importance. I would say things which needed to be said for difficult times. And these were difficult times. Nero was persecuting the church of God. And also, if you did not have another opportunity, Paul realized that. And so what he's saying here is very, very important as he shares this with Timothy, the one whom he is mentoring. In the text that we just read, the apostle was telling Timothy to be constantly reminding God's people of sound doctrine. He said that at the beginning of verse 14. And I believe he was referring back to what he said there in verses 8 through 13. But also to be cautioning them against false teaching. False teachers. We see that in the second half of verse 14 and also verses 16 through 18. So this meant the need for the young pastor to hear the words of verse 15 in the middle of it all. And what does he say once again? Be diligent, be zealous, be eager to present yourself approved to God. Like one standing before God for examination so as to be found faithful. To be sound favorable. Just like we saw in today's scripture reading. 1 Thessalonians 2, 4. You don't have to go there. But in 1 Thessalonians 2 and verse 4. Paul said, But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who examines our hearts. Beloved, though you're not pastors, don't you want to be approved of God? As you think about standing before the judgment seat of Christ one day, don't you want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant? I believe as true Christians, you do. But what does that look like? That's a good question. What does that look like? I'm sure there are a number of answers that could be given to that question if we were to open it up amongst you this morning. But I just want to take a few minutes and highlight two characteristics. Two characteristics that Paul shared with Timothy there in verse 15, which means these are important characteristics. And I trust that it will encourage and challenge you in your walk of faith, both young and old alike. This message is for everybody here. So children, don't tune tune out here. All right, this is your Awana theme verse. So listen carefully. So are these characteristics true of you? I want you to ask that question as we walk through this verse. And the first characteristic is there in the middle of verse 15. Again, be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed. What is clear here? What is the characteristic? A Christian workman should be unashamed in service to God. A Christian workman should be unashamed in service to God. This morning we were singing 
that song there that reminds us of Psalm 139. God sees all. He knows all. He knows our character. He knows our conduct. And he's the one to whom you ultimately answer. You don't want to meet his disapproval and have the feeling of dishonoring him, do you? Of course not. So to what was Paul referring particularly here? Of not needing to be ashamed. Well, it certainly is connected with what follows in this verse. And we're going to be discussing that shortly. But it was also addressed by the apostle earlier in this epistle. And I want you to track it with me. Go back to chapter 1. Look what it says beginning in verse 5. Paul's writing to Timothy and he says, For I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am sure that it is in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hand. You see, Paul affirmed that this man was called of God to be a pastor. And then he goes on to say this in verse 7. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline or of a sound mind. So Paul seemed to notice fear in Timothy's character, which would hinder him in his service for God. How do I know that? Look at verse 8. He says, therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God. What an invite. <laughs> but he doesn't stop there. Look down at verse 12, what Paul says of himself. For this reason, I also suffer these things. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard what I've entrusted to him until that day. Now look with me at verse 16. The Lord grant mercy to the house of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. So therefore, Paul went on to give him the challenge that we see here in the early part of chapter 2. You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And he goes on in the following verses to give some examples of what it would look like to be strong in the Lord. In fact, one of them is there in verses 3 and 4. Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. And then you come to verse 15. Be diligent, be eager, be zealous to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed. Beloved, would you be ashamed as a Christian workman because of fear? 
which is hindering your testimony, your service for God? Think about that this morning. Would you be ashamed as a Christian workman because of fear in your soul? I find it interesting what someone once reported regarding the letters Ann Landers used to receive. How many of you remember Ann Landers? Okay, some of you do. All right. Well, this writer said this. It is reported that the newspaper counselor, Ann Landers, received an average of 10,000 letters each month. And nearly all of them from people burdened with problems. She was asked if there was any one of them which predominated throughout the letters she received. And her reply was, one problem above all others seemed to be what? Fear. In fact, she was quoted as saying, people are afraid of losing their health, their wealth, their loved ones. People are afraid of life itself. And these, this is coming from people in the world. But the Christian in service of the Lord does not need to be stymied by fear. Particularly the fear of man. Though you and I experience it, we need to be reminded of what Paul told Timothy. And again, what was that? What we read in 2 Timothy 1.7. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. And then he went on to tell him, you know the gospel. You've put your faith in the truth. You have God's power. You have the hope of being with him. And so be steadfast in the truth. Proclaim it. Defend it. No matter what the world says or does. Be a testimony in the service of Christ. But because of persecution, which Timothy faced, and which we face, we tend to be fearful, don't we? We're afraid to stand for Christ, to stand for his word. Why is that? We have the truth. We know it. You're saved. You put your faith in the gospel. It changed your life. You have something to look forward to. You're going to heaven. You have the power of Christ which dwells within you. The Spirit of God. And so take your stand. There's no need to be fearful. God has given us everything that's necessary to be faithful and to serve Him. That's my prayer for you. And it's also my prayer for myself. <laughs> to be a Christian workman unashamed in service for God. If you are ashamed, is it because there is the fear of man in your heart. Paul wanted to protect Timothy from that. I mean, think about the times that he was in. <laughs> Paul's getting ready to die. And Timothy is sort of going to take over here. In fact, the writer of Hebrews says that he was in prison at the end of his letter. 
So Timothy was facing a lot tougher times than you or I. And yet Paul recognized the fear, the timidity that was in his heart. If there is that fear in your heart, and I think most of us would claim yes, at times there is, maybe more than some, but it's not necessary. You have everything necessary to be a Christian workman that should be unashamed in service for God. Amen? This is what he's partially talking about here in verse 15. That brings us to the second characteristic, which I said a few minutes ago was connected to the previous characteristic, and it is. Because you can't read this verse apart. You've got to read it all together. And we see it there in the last part of verse 15. I'm going to read the whole verse again. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be shamed, accurately handling the word of truth. Again, what seems to be clear here? What's the characteristic? A Christian workman should be accurate with the word of God. A Christian workman should be accurate with the word of God. The Greek word accurately handling literally means to cut straight. Kind of like a seamstress who's sewing or cutting the fabric. My wife does a lot of seamstress work. I don't see her doing this with the fabric. She's cutting a straight line. She's sewing a straight line. How about a farmer plowing a furrow in the ground? It's straight. It's not all over the place. Or how about a mason setting a bricked wall? (laughs) If it's not straight, that wall's going to be what? Wavy. And so what we see here is that it refers to work that's being done with care and precision. And here Paul applied it to the word of truth, the Bible, and its message. You see, it comes from God. And therefore, it must be treated with respect. Amen? Absolutely. In fact, look what he says over in chapter 1, verse 14. We'll read verse 13 with it. Retain the standard of sound words which you have heard from me in the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasure or the good deposit which has been entrusted to you. And what had been entrusted to Timothy was the word of God, the gospel. And he was to treat it with care and precision. As he presented it before God's people. And so a Christian worker handling the word of God appropriately does not need to be ashamed. But what does this entail? That is a good question. And I think the question is answered twofold. One generally and the other specifically. Generally speaking, it is to study every text of scripture with the intention of interpreting the original author's message correctly. (laughs) Generally speaking. I mean, we're not to come to the Word of God and say, what does it mean to me? No. 
What did God intend it to mean to the original audience? And so when you come to the word of God, that's what you need to know. That's what you need to find out. It's not what it means to you. It's what it's supposed to mean from God. It's a letter that's been written by him through men. It's been inspired of God. And so we want to get it right in that way. And this means you're going to have to give attention to detail. That's the second aspect of this question, the second answer. That means you're going to give attention to the recipients. Is it the Old Testament that we are in? Or is it in the New Testament? Are we speaking about Israel? Or are we speaking about the church? Are we speaking about believers? Are we speaking about unbelievers? You want to know who the recipients are in that particular text. How about the context? That's so important. What do the verses say that come before the passage that you're in? What do the verses say coming after the passage you're reading? The context is so important because it's a train of thought that comes from God. And we want to get every aspect of it. We must understand that verse or that passage of Scripture within the realm of the chapter, within the realm of the whole book or the whole epistle. And then as it compares to the rest of the Bible, what we see in that passage of Scripture should be able to be compared with other passages of Scripture to affirm what's being said. The context is so important. How about words and phrases? It's what we call in exegesis, lexical analysis. Words and phrases are so important. That's why I give study to the original languages, Greek and Hebrew. And today we've got tools that you can use so that you might accurately handle the Word of God and know what those words and phrases mean from the original author. How about grammar? Oh, I hate grammar. I love grammar. But I know there are many out there who do not. How do the words and phrases interact with one another? It's what we call syntax. The relationship of words and phrases to one another. You might think all of this is silly. But no, this is giving care and precision to the word of God. It's his message. And it came to us some 2,000 years ago. And so we got to get it right, right? Amen. Amen. So for the pastor, this is so important. As God's under-shepherd, he is responsible for communicating the message of the great shepherd to his people. And he should want to get it right. Amen? I think you want it to be right. Amen. Listen to these words from 2 Corinthians 4, 1 and 2. Paul says there, Therefore, since we have this ministry as we receive mercy, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced the things hidden because of shame, not walking in craftiness or adulterating the word of God, but by the manifestation of truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Do you see what he's talking about there? adulterating the word of God. This is serious. I can tell you I approach God's word every week with fear and trembling. I do. So pray for me. And if you are praying for me, thank you. I am fallible. 
You probably didn't realize that, right? I am. I'm going to make mistakes. And I trust that if I do before you, that I will have the humility to say that. Because I want to get the word of God right. That's my intention. Because I know this is God's message for you, for me. I remember a couple of weeks ago, someone was asking me, so how's your study been this week? And I said, I've been wrestling through the text. He says, wrestling, huh? And I said, absolutely. My heart's been wrestling because I want to interpret it correctly. And so what you got on five minutes on Sunday morning, I spent probably eight hours working through during the week. Just to give you an example of what I'm talking about here, I want to share this article with you entitled, The Shooting Panda by Dennis Fisher. In her amusing book, Eats, Shoots, and Leaves, Lynn Truss bemoans the problem of poor communication or poor punctuation in today's world. To illustrate this, she tells a funny story of a panda who enters a cafe, orders a sandwich, eats it, and then pulls out a gun and starts shooting. When a waiter asks him to explain his behavior, the panda hands him a poorly punctuated wildlife guide and asks him to look up the description of a panda. It reads, Panda, large black and white bear-like mammal, native to China, eats, shoots, and leaves. I thought you might pick up on that. Having a comma after the word eats is an error that changes the whole meaning of the last sentence. The words shoots and leaves become actions instead of plants to eat. Now I know we smile and laugh about this, and it is a humorous story. But when God's word is treated as such, it's not so funny. Because I can tell you men who take passages of Scripture and rip them out of their context to make them say what they want to be said or to justify something. No, we've come to declare God's Word and He wants us to get it right. It takes great care and precision, cutting it straight day in and day out. And so you might say this morning, that kind of takes work. I get up in the morning and I just read the Bible. Okay. But I would trust as God's disciples you want to cut the word of God straight for yourselves, right? It is going to take work. That's why he uses the word workman here. Labor, toil. (laughs) It takes work. But this is about what? Pleasing God. And that should inspire you to be faithful in your study of the word of God. Again, Paul told Timothy in verse 15, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God. That is, one who could stand before God 
and be found favorable. This meant on the one hand that we should be unashamed in service to God. That is not kept from standing for the truth and being a testimony for Christ and the gospel. It definitely means that because you have to understand it in the context leading up to it. And yet on the other hand, it also meant that we should be accurate with the word of God, taking great care to interpret it and follow it the way God intended. And so, beloved, I trust that these characteristics are true of you as God's children. Unashamed in the service of God, accurate with the word of God. Do you see yourself as a testimony for Christ? Do you study God's word to know the truth and walk according to his will? I mean, all that I said this morning is captured right in that sentence. If you can honestly affirm this, then you have God's approval. Amen and amen. Don't you want God's approval? Sure you do. And here we've been given two characteristics. Simple characteristics that should challenge your hearts. Characteristics which we should examine our hearts with so that we are found favorable before him. Young people, maybe you've never thought of your theme verse for one like this, but now you do understand it a little bit better. You know, my prayer for you is that you know Jesus as your Savior. I know I've talked with the LP, I've talked with the TNT of the Awana and the Sparks, and with every one of them, I say, my prayer for you is that you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. And so if you have questions about that this morning, ask your parents. They'd be more than happy to walk you through what the Bible says, what God has said for your heart, so that you might know Jesus as your personal Savior. And if you know Christ... I trust that as you are memorizing Scripture week in and week out, that your desire is to know what it says, that it will be your great delight in order to please God, because that is our goal on a day-by-day basis. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning and just for the opportunity to take this time out And look at 2 Timothy 2.15, a verse that is familiar to all of us. I would say that many of us have it memorized. Maybe we have said it, and it just comes off our lips very quickly, but we have given very little thought to it. Oh, how I pray that, God, we would want to be approved of you. As you look at our hearts, I pray That, God, what you see is favorable. That we are indeed unashamed in service to God. That though there might be fear, oh God, we know what your word says and we can stand upon it. We can be a testimony for you. Oh, how I pray that, God, we would take your word seriously 
It is your divine message to us. May we hide it in our hearts. May we know what it says. May we live it out for your glory and honor. Use this, God, in the way that you have ordained. In Jesus' name, amen.